Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. This is the most exciting story because we're currently in a crypto bear market. Crypto is going to zero. Same with Bitcoin. That's not financial advice. That's a joke for the trolls. But when I first saw this come out, I thought it was fiend tech. And I'm starting to kind of get that vibe on crypto Twitter from some folks because a lot of people are talking about privacy. But we'll get into that. So friend tech becomes massive ether money machine as NBA players, FaZe Clan join in. And then FriendTech also gains 100,000 users in days, even in depths of a bear market. So if you guys don't know, um, FriendTech is a social tokenization protocol. It's built on Base, which is Coinbase's open source blockchain. There's no token affiliated with that. So if you see another Base coin floating around, it's not affiliated with Base or Coinbase. So please be careful, do your due diligence. And it's from invite only. So if you don't have a friend code, you can't join. So It's kind of like high school. If you weren't cool enough to get invited to a party and you showed up, sometimes they would beat you up. I don't know if that happened to you guys. But basically, it tokenizes Twitter slash X accounts because we rebranded to X. And everything is on chain. Everything is on chain. And it made more revenue than Bitcoin, Tron, and Uniswap in the past 24 hours, which makes sense because, again, this is a bear market and everybody's broke. But anyways, I haven't tested it out. One of the things I did do is I went to the official Twitter page because that's always where you should start if you can verify that's the real account, okay? Um, I clicked on the link and it wanted me to download the mobile app. I don't like to do crypto-related things on my daily cell phone. I like to use a burner. So that kind of protruded me a little bit. I wasn't really like, eh, because I feel like it's a lot easier to get hacked and whatnot. So who wants to take this? I got you. Okay, let's go. I downloaded it. And I was with you, Wendy. I actually don't like using my phone for crypto things. This one was a little different because you couldn't use it on your desktop. And so you had to use it on your phone. But then there wasn't like really an app for it. You had to go to like Safari or Chrome on your iPhone or on your Android, then download it, then add it to your home screen. And so you're basically going through like Safari or whatnot. So a little odd there. The thing that's interesting to me about this is basically like a sort of like a light polling sample on how many people are still paying attention to crypto who like, willing to download stuff, play around with things. seems that there's about 100,000 unique users right now of FriendTech. And that means that there's probably 100,000 people who are interested and willing to play around with this. Maybe there's like a little higher end of people like yourself who quite haven't downloaded yet, but I'm sure will in the next few weeks if it continues to grow at the same pace. Now, that if is big, right? Because we've seen a lot of these projects 
take off for a few weeks and then die down and we forget about them forever. That's what happened with so many of these different social ideas. Thing now we're kind of hitting though is that peak interest with NBA players jumping into it, some esports guys jumping into it. Their interest, of course, is probably just be in the next thing. This is an interesting project. Trades digital shares of each other. There's an invite code aspect to it. So I think that's where we're getting some interest right now. I'm waiting for like a few bigger names to jump in, and then we'll see if there's some uh, staying power with friend. Yeah, but but the thing is, I know, Jen, you had your hand up, but I have to comment really quick. Two things. First and foremost, generally, we see crypto Twitter absolutely clown when the celebrities come in and they say that that's the top. So it's going to be interesting to see the type of feedback there. Also, too, we like to look at on-chain data and look at how many different wallets have been created for different types of protocols, etc. And with wallets, you, anybody can create a wallet. I, can, I have like 100 different MetaMask wallets to manage. Yes, I know I'm insane. But we can also maybe apply that there is maybe only 100,000 people left that are daily active users of crypto instead of using on-chain data. Just a thought. I may be stupid for saying that, but Jen? Yeah, you know, Will, you said that we've seen these like crypto applications come, come up with a bunch of users, hundreds of thousands, and then we never hear about them again. We've seen the same with social platforms, right? Threads came out, so many people rushed to sign up, and then no one really stuck around, no one really used it. And we've asked so many times on the show before, like, what does the future of social media look like? And what is Web3's part in building the future of social media? And I think that this is quite interesting, whether it sticks around or not, it kind of leverages that idea that like people want to be in these intimate circles where they feel like they have community, where they feel like they're in groups and they have access to influencers and celebrities, even if they don't actually. And I think we've seen this kind of play out in like Facebook groups is super popular for Facebook. You know, when Taylor Swift had um, those like listening parties, I believe in her homes where fans were invited to come out and like hang out with her and, and be in these intimate circles. I think that's like the really interesting part here. And it doesn't use an NFT or like all of this other complicated language. And you're able to kind of leverage the audience you already have on Twitter and go to this familiar social place. So I think the concept is quite interesting, whether it sticks around, that is TBD. Zach? Wasn't this the one that like everyone got excited about because there was the prospect of some future airdrop? Is that the one? Is this, are we talking about the same yeah. one? There was like, okay, cool. So I guess that's my question. Why do we think people are doing this? Do we think they're doing this because it's a cool thing? Or do we think they're just out there digital prospecting, putting a stake in the ground should the airdrop land it's, eventually, it's a, right? Yeah, I didn't it's actually about, know about the airdrop. And I think it is that now that I know. No, so, I think it's a little bit of both. Like there is an airdrop feature and it's like one of the widgets on the main tabs is an airdrop feature, but it's unclear what that airdrop means as of now because they haven't done one yet. You get like some sort of loyalty points the more you trade people's shares, the more you use the application. But I think that's also like a big draw is the fact like I can be in a group chat with people. I can be in a group chat with Kobe. I can be in a group chat with whoever is like the talk of the town on Twitter on this application if I buy their shares. I think that's what's drawing people in. I think the airdrop will, especially if there is like some monetary value at the beginning of it. But right now, I think there's a little bit of two things going on here. Wendy's so, cynical about this, though. So is this, the, is this like the OnlyFans for boys? Yeah, possibly. It sounds like it. I mean, because regular OnlyFans is for boys also and girls. I think, you well, know, we, we yeah, shouldn't discriminate. All hey, you know what? everyone. You know what? Crypto <laughs> Twitter seems to just slam women that have OnlyFans, though. So I'm just trying to it's I'm true. just trying to be relatable here. OK, one plus one equals true. Um, seven sometimes. It's true. Tuesday's top story. OK, let's go over to Coinbase and talk about the Circle Consortium, which is now being dissolved 
as Coinbase has garnered a or purchased a stake within Circle itself. Circle earlier this year uh, actually sold some of its stake to Fidelity and BlackRock. So now Coinbase joins those two firms. Uh, what does this mean? Well, I think Circle is really growing and they want Coinbase along for the ride. Circle, of course, runs the USDC uh, network. They're adding about six more blockchains for that crypto asset, which is quickly becoming one of the most important stable coins out there. Zach, I throw this one over to you. This is kind of cool to look back and think about like how the Circle Consortium worked. It did its job for a few years. Now they're professionalizing a little bit more, putting it all under one hood. And then Coinbase continues to have a stake in the company by purchasing a stake in Circle. Yes, I will correct you, sir. It was the Center Consortium, not the Circle Consortium. So the Center Consortium ah, is the true, thing that's true. being nuked. I think, um, I, yeah, this is interesting. I mean, obviously, the addition of additional blockchains stands out, right? Having native USDC on various layer one networks is pretty catalytic for a lot of these networks, right? You want to have that stable unit of account that you can use to zap around money uh, natively on these chains rather than having to rely on a bunch of sort of like, you know, uh, duct tape uh, bridge situations. That I think is super notable. But I think also like there's clearly some interesting behind the scenes here as to why Coinbase wanted to get in on this a bit more actively. I think if you looked at the low to no interest rate environment that a lot of stuff took place in, you know, in the last three, four years, suddenly these reserves are probably thrown off a good chunk of change sitting in some uh, bank account somewhere, generating interest, generating returns, right? I could imagine why Coinbase would want to be closer to that because it might represent a decent uh, business line, right? Circle, these are dollar-backed stable coins. They're sitting in reserve somewhere. They're tokenized and then they're, you know, zoomed around the internet. And then if you want to cash them out, you get that dollar back. I think the business economics of being a stablecoin issuer have certainly changed given the high interest rates uh, that we see. So it's interesting that I would, I would imagine that that may have been sort of a catalyzing factor in this change to the approach. And that's certainly interesting to, uh, to see Coinbase be a bit more active in pursuing it. But yeah, I think probably the new blockchain stuff will have the longest term ramification in terms of, again, maybe jumpstarting some of those ecosystems a bit further. But yeah, interesting business story as well here, I'd say. Jen, what do you think? Well, I read this, and this is complete speculation, but I read this and thought, you know, Coinbase has been working very closely with their lawyers, very closely with their legal advisors on the suit that's brought against them by the SEC. There's a stablecoin bill that's being debated on. And I just, I feel like this is, you know, them looking at the industry, looking at the growth of the industry. The consortium was created in, I think, 2018. I think that this is them seeing kind of where regulation is going and making their, making USDC look like other stable coins that they think are going to make it. And maybe one of those is PiUSD, PayPal stablecoin. It just feels like they are restructuring. They've looked at the industry. They've seen how it's developing. They've heard what regulators are saying when it comes to stable coins, and they are being flexible so that they can carry on with the product and, and again, bring it to more blockchain. So that's, that's my speculation while reading this. I think this is a regulatory response that has been carefully thought through. Well, any last words on this one? Yeah, I'm just wondering about the funding side of these things. So Coinbase has a pretty good books in terms of like revenues, cash flows, and debt on hand. Uh, they did re recently announce that they're raising about $150 million in debt. I think as of like August 8th, they had about $50 million of that secured. And I'm wondering if that was has something to do with this. But is of course, right now, that's only speculation. We don't really know how they purchased this or how large the stake uh, within this whole new purchase was. So that'd be something I'd be curious about knowing. Coinbase, of course, just a huge company at this point, and they have stakes in so many different business lines. Very professionalized company. 
Uh, but I'd be curious about the money side of things. Keep on trucking on. I have to say it every time we talk about Coinbase, despite this lawsuit, they keep moving forward and doing I, what I think is like really great things for the industry. So they are leading the charge. Zach? It's going to be less confusing when writing up stablecoin stories because you always kind of had to mention like center, but it was sort of like wasn't really key to the story. So it is nice. It'll be nice, like simplistic because you know, center was circle and Coinbase. And now it's like, let's get rid of that. We're just, yeah, it's just, just straight up circle now. So that's great. Wednesday's top story. All right, Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, founder of FTX, who is behind bars right now awaiting a criminal trial in October, um, has revealed part of his defense. We've known this, I, I think, at least for some days now. The defense strategy that he intends to use is called the advice of counsel strategy. And this would be essentially blaming counsel and his lawyers for giving him poor advice, which then led to the implosion of FTX. He intends to argue that he was acting in good faith when loaning funds to Alameda and FTX executives in setting signal messages to auto-delete and in setting up a set of North American entities, because that's what his lawyers advised him to do. Uh, the law firm that is at the middle of this is Fenwick and West. I don't, do not believe that we know the attorney's names that he plans to say gave him this advice, but we do know the firm now. Uh, Zach, going to toss this off to you. We had a guest on First Mover recently who said this is a Hail Mary move. It is like the last resort in defenses that you can use. That is not a quote, but that is essentially what he was saying. What do you make of this? Just another twist and turn in what is an increasingly strange legal saga, right? You, you really don't know what to believe with SBF at this point. You don't know what to make of these various public statements that he's made. You don't know if this has any chance of being a useful strategy to him. You don't even know if he was actually advised the way he was saying that he was advised now. So it is really hard to judge a lot of these things because we get a lot of this uh, sort of, I don't know, two-faced talk out of Sam Bankman-Fried uh, while this crisis was unfolding and subsequently. So it's really kind of hard to say what's what here, but it certainly is maybe again that Hail Mary effort to uh, shorten or curtail the amount of time that SBF will spend behind bars. But yeah, I don't know. Seems seems to be a bit grasping at straws. I don't know. I'd be curious to see if this carried any weight in the court of law. But obviously, time will tell. And we'll see that in October in New York. It's shaping up to be, again, prime time must, must view court experience. So I don't know. Will, I, I'm tempted to throw it back to our legal expert, Jensen Assey, but I will throw it to you for your, your thoughts. I mean, I would give it to the legal expert, just a lowly pleb over here. Uh, now, I'll, I'll take it really quickly. I'm this is the trial of the century, right? So we're going to see what's, what Sam Bankman-Fried is going to come up with while he's in jail right now and trying to figure out his defense. It's not looking good, though, right? Like, look at all the things that are alleged against him. Even this week, he was back in court for two more indictments about uh, money laundering and related to transferring of uh, funds over wire. Uh, those, I think, came from the Treasury Department. So it's got a lot to deal with here. And I, I don't know if like his counsel and this whole strategy is going to fit for all those things, right? Like maybe it helps him out on a few counts. That would probably be a best case scenario. That would be my imagination here running wild. But things look really bad. They have all this documentation from the company, right? Like all this information was handed over fairly quickly. We think back to just last year when Sam Bankman Freed resigned. In a matter of like a few days, he was gone, right? And then all that information was basically locked in time for now 
uh, everyone to go through and pick apart his eventual defense in this case. So it's not looking good. I don't love the strategy, but if you're going to say I'm not guilty, then you have to come up with something. Throw it Wendy for your thoughts. I have the hottest take out of everyone on the show. I don't care. I literally don't care cool. what happens to him. I don't care about the legal system. It's never going to be fair. If you have family with money and resources, you're always going to be a step ahead of the underdogs. I just want, you know, I want the courts to figure this out as fast as possible for everybody that got got by FTX and then is struggling in bankruptcy court because the more time they waste on this, doesn't matter if it's the criminal stuff or it's the actual bankruptcy stuff because it's all interrelated. It's just going to continue to take money from creditors. And as we have seen with different bankruptcy cases with crypto asset exchanges, in the past, the courts and the attorneys and everybody just really takes advantage of the people um, of retail and everybody that's a, that was kind of associated and got caught off guard. And that's just really what it is. They just spend money on attorneys and it just at the end of the day, less money goes to the creditors, the people that really got scammed and got screwed over. So I just don't care anymore. I don't care if he's eating bread and water. I don't care if he's a little bit uncomfortable. He did something bad. He got caught doing it. Generally, when my daughter does something bad, we do a little bit of a timeout. You know, we start working on that. And just the fact that his parents are not taking really any accountability, they haven't been questioned. Where the heck is Sam Trabuco? I just don't care anymore. I mentioned we had a lawyer on First Mover recently and asked if there's been precedent set. Has this kind of defense been successfully used before? Um, and he said, again, not a direct quote and maybe exaggerating a little bit for dramatic effect, but I will try not to. He said that the, when he's seen this before, the lawyers really just kind of lay the defendant out to dry at the end. Of, at, at the end of the day, these lawyers are lawyers, right? They're not going to come out and say, you know, yeah, of course, I told him to do all of these alleged crimes that we're sitting here for. And they definitely have the receipts to back it, back it up. And so. I'm curious. I think it's going to be, Zach, like you said, a very dramatic trial that we'll all be sitting on the edge of our seats watching, especially uh, when this firm and the attorneys at this firm take the stand. It will be interesting to hear their side of the story. And of course, we have all of the other people who are involved in all of these alleged crimes on the other side. You know, they're, they're going to take the stand for the prosecution. They're going to tell the story from their perspective. And I just don't think it looks good for Sam Bankman-Fried when everybody else is saying, yeah, we did this. Yeah, we messed up. We are guilty. And Sam's the only one out here saying, my lawyer said it was okay, so I'm not guilty. But the thing is, that's like such typical behavior of somebody that comes from that type of privilege to come out and say it really is like he has no awareness of what he actually did or the people impacted around him. And he just kind of say, no, I didn't do it. It was just a mistake or, you know, this happened or this happened or this happened. I think it's absolutely pathetic. And I wish his attorneys would just tell him to shut up. And I wish he would also shut up as well. But I don't think that will end up happening and he will continue to incriminate himself. So I just don't care. I want this to be over with and everyone to get their money back or some of their money back. Thursday's top story. So FTX has tapped Galaxy, formerly Galaxy Digital, to sell stake and hedge its crypto billions. This is a major development for the bankrupt exchange as it looks to get back on its feet and also return value to its many stakeholders. Let's talk about this one. And then we got another little quick story that we can get to here. FTX tapping Galaxy. Interesting. Uh, Galaxy, uh, obviously the merchant bank helmed by Mike Novogratz, very prominent in the space with a number of different arms, touching ventures, touching trading, touching all sorts of things. going to throw this to you, Will. Reading between the lines here, what do you think is going on with this headline? Yeah, I think there's just like a lot of cash that the FTX estate needs to get working for the creditors. I mean, they even talked a few weeks ago about how the FTX estate has not moved forward with putting a lot of the treasury into UST bonds, which 
would make about four to five percent. That'd be pretty awesome for the billions that they're sitting on top of. And they decline to do that because it's another risk factor. But maybe they can't take these crypto assets and give them to someone else to do staking operations or something that's more native to cryptocurrency itself. And they can't do it right now with like the technology they have on hand because FTX itself has shut down and perhaps it never really existed in the first place. But Galaxy Digital certainly can do it. So they're going to hand it off. My question here is like, how much is Galaxy Digital going to charge for this? I'm sure it's not cheap. As we'll get into for the next story here in a second, the FTX estate has not held its hand from spending money from uh, its vast treasury as of right now. They're spending about $1.5 million per day. So I could see Galaxy Digital making quite a bit of money on top of this. I just think that speaks to Galaxy Digital's strengths, right? They have so many different arms out there. They're really crypto merchant bank is what they've kind of been called. They have staking, they have trading, they have a research team. They have so much going on over there. So it makes sense for them to be tapped for this role. Jen? Yeah, you said pretty much everything I was going to say. The article says that John Jay Ray III is worried that selling all in one go could cause the price to plummet. So there has to be a strategy here. I think that Galaxy Digital is probably the right entity to tap in. If we think back to that story we talked about a few weeks ago now, there's this tension building, right, between the creditors committee and all of the lawyers and executives that are trying to tie up FTX's estate. The creditors committee is saying, hey, you're spending $1.5 million a day. It's equating to about $50 million a month. And then we have all of these assets that are just sitting around and doing nothing for us. I think this is one step in the in the right direction, maybe came out of that tension between the creditors committee and uh, John J. Ray and his team of lawyers and executives. And so I think this is a good step. But that $1.5 million is such a big number to swallow. I just wonder at the end of all of this, once everything is balanced out, how much will be left for the creditors. But unfortunately, this is just the way that uh, bankruptcies goes. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.